Hello, space nerds. Welcome to Raktagino and Root Beer, a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Michael. On this podcast, we are reviewing every Deep Space Nine episode from the pilot to the finale. It'll be so exciting, it's going to give you umox. Pull up a chair and join in the discussion over some Raktagino and Root Beer. If you would like to contact us, set hailing frequencies to rrds9podcast at gmail.com. Today on the show, we are going to review Season 2, Episodes 5 and 6, Cardassians and Melora. So we're going to start off with Cardassians. All right, Matthew, why don't you give a synopsis? Okay, um, so this in this episode, it starts off with Garrick and Bashir having a lovely dinner at the Replimat, and they're having their usual repartee, when they are interrupted by a Bajoran bringing a Cardassian child onto the station. The Cardassian child bites Garrick, and from there we begin to realize that something interesting is going on. It turns out, uh, as we learn throughout this episode, that the child's name is Rugal, and he was one of the Cardassian orphans left on Bajor when the Cardassians um, left the planet. And apparently in Cardassian culture, the orphans don't have status, so that's one reason why they were left. But now uh, Gal Dukat wants to bring these orphans home. As the episode progresses, we become we come to learn that Rugal is actually not an orphan. He is a child of a, an important civilian leader in the Cardassian uh, command, uh, the name of Kotan Padar, and an enemy of Gal Dukat. And so as we go through, we realize that all of this, this whole discovery of Rugal was an elaborate plan by Gul Dukat to embarrass Kotan uh, Padar into resigning and uh, no longer being an enemy of his. So uh, fortunately at the end, Bashir reveals the plan and uh, Gul Dukat has to leave in embarrassment. Nicely done. Now, Thank you. In, Thank our, you. in our previous episode, you actually liked uh, one or two episodes, I believe. Um, so <laughs> let's see what happens. Here what? we go. Okay, I'm gonna ask it. Did you like season two, episode five, Cardassians? Did I like it? Mm. I did like it. Um, but with a big but, with a big question mark at the end, which is that the ending seems to undermine the entire episode and made me go, what? You mean the, the decision to send uh, Rugal back to Cardassia? Yeah, with his with his birth father instead yeah. of with his adoptive father. That was a little strange. It seemed like, it seemed so bizarre because it seemed like not at all what the child wanted mm-hmm. and not at all what the adoptive parent wanted and it seemed to be based the, entirely in some other decision-making process. Because the, the adoptive parents had nothing to do with the political scheming, right? Yeah. I mean... So it was strange, and I thought that they might there might be more reaction to that. Like, ooh, that was a bad idea, but but no, no, we're just told that that's what happened, and and he leaves the station, and to some degree, I kind of understand that. I kind of appreciate that they didn't explain it. It's just kind of this mysterious decision, and it happened, mm-hmm. and we're not. I didn't get the feeling that it was a moral decision. It just felt like a weird decision, mm-hmm. um, but I I was. I was kind of there throughout all the episode, and then I was like, what? You know, at the end, I didn't, it did not make any sense to me. Uh, but I did enjoy, uh, this was an episode with Garrick, and I enjoyed Garrick. 
and he is a fun character, and Goldicott was in it, and this was one of the first episodes where we get to see kind of their relationship and the interaction between them. And you, and usually Goldicott is on some uh, monitor somewhere, so it was kind of nice to see him in person. Yeah, say. and he seems to have more crocodile uh, things on his neck than he, the other Cardassians. He's, he's also shorter than I thought. <laughs> yeah. He's shorter in person. I really, really like this episode. With yeah. The, like the, I agree with you on the ending. I thought that that was very strange, but it's a small butt for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought that the writing in this episode was super strong. Yeah. And it had a scene that um, I just absolutely loved. That was when you had Miles O'Brien and uh, the kid Rugal. little little Rugal. Yeah. Uh, alone in a room, and you had uh, Miles O'Brien, famously racist against Cardis. Yeah, yeah. Who's fought on the front lines against the Cardassians and just doesn't trust uh, Rugal. And then you have Rugal, who also hates Cardassians. Uh, and it was such a strange, interesting scene where they were trying to understand one another, and they came from very strange backgrounds. And uh, I, and I thought it was a yeah, I, th- I thought it was uh, an amazing scene in a in a good episode. Yeah, and the the kid did a good job too. He was uh, pretty good as Rugal. All of the actors were generally pretty good. Oh, going uh, going back to that, the the dinner. I mean, the the dinner is right before the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, most awkward dinner ever. Yeah, like Keiko, come on, you you serve. Uh, a self-hating Cardassian or Cardassian dinner. I, I, I didn't understand that. That seemed thoroughly... <laughs> that was horrible. Disrespectful. <laughs> and, and, and as a teacher, I mean, he's well-versed in Cardassian Bajoran politics. And she and she knows the, the, the history of this kid. Why on earth would you think that he would want to try Cardassian food? Yeah. No, uh, Keiko seems to be somewhat insensitive to Bajoran customs. Remember, she is the one who right. got it, caused the whole problem about the school. Oh, she did She did give him a funny look when he prayed before dinner as well. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's her uh, atheist uh, religious intolerance. Yeah. Uh, intolerance of religion, whatever. Yeah. And and I love how, too, it was like, oh, dinner is going to get served, and she literally just hmm. replicates it, and then instantly it's on the <laughs> table. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Like, no, no effort yeah. whatsoever put yeah. into this meal-making at all. No. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Keiko, not the best teacher, not the most sensitive person in the world. Hmm. Uh, Garrick, I really liked him. He, sometimes he is a little too flamboyant, uh, or... A little bit too um, theatrical, I suppose, is the term. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he's he's an interesting character. And, and I was reading afterwards about the actor who plays him uh, said that he really liked the scene when they were down on the planet with the orphanage and the and he saw all the remaining Cardassian orphans. Mm-hmm. And it affected him emotionally in this, uh, you know, very real way. And I like that because normally he plays his character so distant from other people's emotions that he was actually reacting to the well, situation. Because he's, he's never he's never surprised. He always knows what's really going on behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, he knows more than anyone else. And to see him shocked like that was, yeah, an interesting yeah. moment for him. So what, I mean, I know more about Garrick than you do. So what do you think Garrick is at this point? I honestly have no idea. I'm, I'm still trying to figure him out. I mean, I he's a spy, clearly. Um, or he could be potentially um, a former spy who 
who uh, is sort of semi-retired, let's say, or, or inactive in the service, possibly. Um, I, I get the sense that he's been left behind on the space station to keep an eye on things if, if he is still in service. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I don't know, he's fascinating. I mean, why would he... He's clearly friendly with Goldicat, but they also can't stand each other. Um, yeah. He has their high-level kind of... connections. And there, and he was working against Galdukat in this episode. Yeah, which which surprised me. So I I still have no idea where he stands on the whole thing. And yeah. and presumably um, a Cardassian who's a tailor, um, depending on I'm sure a lot of Bajoran business. Um, he he must have a lot of friends on Bajor as well. Um, yeah, one, one assumes. Yeah. I but, mean, it's very complicated. He's an interesting person. But I have to say, Garrick, if if. You uh, see a, a child for the first time. Um, maybe don't come up and, and <laughs> say what a, and handsome, say, what a handsome boy and put your hand on the kid's shoulder. That, yeah. That's a stranger danger alert, right yeah, there. Yeah, that was a little creepy and yeah. upsetting. And like, and and honestly, Rugal deserved to bite him. Bite <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Uh, yes, yeah, perhaps he's not the best at dealing with children. He seems better dealing with. Bashir, who he seems to have some sort of homoerotic connection with. Oh, uh, Bashir, yeah, that's a good relationship. They, I actually like them together in this episode. So, sometimes Bashir drives me a little nuts. He's a little bit too romantic about the whole espionage thing. Yeah. And but it, I, I forgot, just to back up slightly, when Miles O'Brien hears that, that uh, Garrett got bitten on the hand, he says, uh, he always cuts his pants too long. Yeah. Like, like it was an angry customer or something. Yeah, and there's like a weird like sexual overtone to that too. Like, mm. he cuts his pants too long. And no, what I was saying about Bashir was mm-hmm. like, uh, he, Bashir can't sleep on one of the beds. And their beds always seem super uncomfortable on, yeah. on Star Trek. Like, it never seems like anyone could possibly have a... Uh, good night, good night's rest. Right. Uh, but then Bashir, uh, sorry, Garrick breaks into his quarters and just like stands above his bed. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> so super weird. Yeah. And so yeah, it's super creepy. Oh. What? I mm. hope I hope they hook up in a future episode because I think that together they're kind of charming. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this is a good time too to uh, mention uh, we have gotten a uh, great. Fan email from oh, uh, yes. a, a fan. Uh, his name is uh, Jeff. I believe his name's Jeff. Yes, and uh, he wrote to us about some of his ideas and feelings about uh, Deep Space Nine. And since I was since he was talking about two of the characters that appear in this episode, I thought I'd mention it. If you are at all interested in sending us emails, please do. Our email address is rrds 9 podcast at gmail.com. And this is what uh, Jeff wrote about Garrick. And Galdukat. Garrick, still one of my favorites, always loved seeing him, and even though it was never stated, his slightly flamboyant, sly, subtle persona always spoke to the young gay boy in me. He's like your great aunt who knew all the family secrets but just sat quietly in the corner under a big hat. And though em- and then he moved on to Galdukat and said, and though embarrassing to admit, I always had a slight crush on Galdukat. Well, you you said that you had a crush on Galdukat too. Yeah, I mean he has um, he has a, a a real fire to him, and there's something about the hollows of his <laughs> eyes. I don't know. It's very, it, okay. it's very masculine and very uh, commanding. He's got authority to him. But the the kind of uh, what is it? Is it's like that James Spader? I'm, I. 
The James Spader thing where he's kind of um, kind of a dick. Kind of a dick, yeah. <laughs> like, is it, is it that kind of thing? Like, no, no, because I mean, I, I'm not spoiling anything, but Gal Dukat in term, he's an antag- antagonist, but he mm. always seems like a very like complicated antagonist. Like, he's not just I'm angry, you know. There seems to be intelligence behind it. He mm. seems to really know what he's doing. He's very smooth too most of the time. Like mm-hmm. in this episode, whenever he talks to Cisco, he's always very smooth. But Commander, you know, like <laughs> that's certainly uh, George Takei. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but Commander. Um, so yeah, and he's he's a fascinating character. I liked mm. uh, I liked what Garrick said about the Cardassians. We get a lot in the in this episode about Cardassians, and he mm. says. Uh, what do you? What's the one thing you know about Cardassians? Their attention to detail. Oh yeah, that was good. And I like that. And I like that being a characteristic of their species that mm-hmm. they are meticulous. They're they're kind of violent and aggressive, but meticulous. Which and, which goes back to the uh, the Nazi parallels yeah, as well yes. with the file keeping and everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, lots of really good background for the Cardassians and the Cardassian culture and and all of that. Um, did you did, just a did, shame did, in the end. Were you interested in the the war orphans uh, in general? It's like this part of their culture where if it's an orphan, they sort of have abandoned. A, abandoned. Yeah. I thought I, I thought it was really interesting. I was like, what about the rest of the orphans? Are they going to be dealt with? And mm-hmm. there was nothing about it at the end. And mm-hmm. I felt like they should have at least dress, addressed that in some way. Like mm-hmm. maybe maybe Cisco on behalf of the Federation may have tried to come up with something. But... Yeah, or like a plan or something. Yeah. But they just kind of left them at the end, which was weird, but I, which is also fine as well. You know, part of this show should be that it leaves things unfinished you know at the end of an episode you shouldn't feel like it's totally everything is fine Mm -hmm. and it does as well with the feeling that there was a huge kind of uh conflict happening in cardassia uh but it didn't get resolved at the end it was just left open Mm -hmm. and so we're left feeling that other things can happen so i want to talk about um cisco in this episode because i really liked him in this episode again i thought that the writing the dialogue in the in this one was really good I liked how sarcastic he was. Yeah. He's, he's the most sarcastic uh, Starfleet leader I, I think I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, no. I liked his response to Bashir when Bashir interrupted his uh, yeah. comm message. Yeah. Because I was like, Bashir, you're like a... You're being a jerk right now. And then... Uh, and then he he had that retort at the end of it. What was it again? Oh, I, I wrote it down. He said, don't apologize. It's been the highlight of my day. Don't do it again. <laughs> Yeah, and he's and he's sarcastic with uh, with Bashir later on, where Bashir's like, "Oh, I need a runabout, you know, to go down to Bajor." Yeah, and he wakes. We wake first of all. He wakes up Cisco in the middle of the night, and he and, and he shows up in that crazy yeah, dressing the kimono, gown. Yeah, that the kimono dressing gown, which actually looks pretty good. I should yeah. get one for myself. It's very luxurious. Yeah, and he goes, "Will one runabout be enough?" I know. Like, <laughs> he's just so sarcastic, which I really appreciated too, because sometimes it feels like everyone's asking him for runabout about slightly and mm. they're like I it's good that he's saying no you know oh, like finally he says no to someone yeah <laughs> like two episodes or whatever wasn't it Kira needed a runabout to go to Cardassia 4 to rescue a <laughs> Bajoran prisoner of war <laughs> it's like everybody yeah. needs one but, yeah, but just, just giving them out I, I think one of the reasons why I like his sarcasm is is a lot of starship captains or commanders they're very by the book people like we've seen like Sure. Like yeah. Picard or Janeway, um, obviously not 
Captain Kirk, but Captain Kirk's never a sarcastic. There's just something about his sarcasm where he's 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 uh, hmm how how do I put this? His personality is, is sort of like, okay, I'll play by the rules, but I'll sort of make fun of them a little bit. You know what I mean? Or I'll bend them. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's like he he plays by the rules, but he's, I guess, jovial. I think that's... He's willing to have a joke. He, he can mock the rules. Yeah. 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 And, like, Picard would maybe have, like, a little bit of lightness at the end of an episode, but it'd be, like, you know, like a minor yeah. joke. Uh, but yeah, Cisco is he at his core. I think he's, and I think this is Avery Brooks uh, coming out. Mm-hmm. He's more of a jovial person, mm-hmm. and the seriousness is almost like it's almost an imposition on his character. Like so, he wants to be like yeah. making fun all the time. So in in the first season, I think Cisco was, as we saw, he was a little goofy. He was a little bit too whimsical. I, I found. And I, it, I thought it was sort of an awkward element to his character, if, if overdone, and he, and he overdid it a lot. Mm-hmm. I find that the sarcasm is pulling back from the whimsy, but it's still a way to, to, to inject humor and friendliness into the character. Yeah. And I, I think it's, they have that balance uh, between, between humor and seriousness uh, down. Yeah, I, I, th- I think his character is getting better as it goes on. That's definitely true. Um, so I think in terms of my estimation of this episode, I enjoyed it for its kind of background that it gave and everything. I just wish the ending had been a little bit different, a little bit maybe explained better. Uh, but it did seem, I mean, they had to wrap it up, but they, but the, the decision, it's almost like the writers thought that in the end, uh, that was the way to go to send the kid back to Cardassia, which seems really weird to me, but, uh, yeah. Like they they didn't they wouldn't anticipate that that would be a controversial choice. But... Yeah, they just felt it was like oh that's the normal choice. Yeah, where, where I'm like well, I don't feel like that's the no, normal choice it, at all. I think the Bajoran parents were. Yeah. yeah, and just the child. The child has been living with. He doesn't even remember this person. This person is a stranger. He's being taken to a planet of of strangers, mm-hmm. of people whose culture is completely different than him than mm-hmm. his. I think you're kind of. Uh, traumatizing the child to send him back to Cardassia, but that's just my feeling, you know. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, the the leader, um, his his biological father, also says that he's basically going to have to keep this thing secret. Yeah. Um, which which they never really explain. I mean, if he has to if he has to keep this out of the public, does that mean that his kid? Maybe he'll say, "Oh, he was on a trip or something." I don't know. <laughs> a really long trip. <laughs> Oh, I forgot I had a kid and he was on a trip. Well, he's back now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but why don't we move on to the next episode, uh, Melora. Melora. Yes. So uh, so why don't you give us a plot synopsis of Melora? All right. Uh, Melora is, I want to say, Alsatian. She's not, a, she's not an Alsatian. That's a, that's a breed of dog. Yes. <laughs> she is a... Elasian. Elasian. Thank yes. you very much. This is why I hate giving uh, synopses of episodes. Uh, she is a Starfleet ensign who's a cartographer, and she's come to the space station to map the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, but she comes from a planet of extremely low gravity. She is she is uh, uh, has severe mobility issues with her body uh, moving around um, what we would consider normal gravity. 
so she, they have to design a wheelchair for her, um, put ramps up on this horribly designed Cardassian space station. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as she arrives, uh, Bashir has set up everything perfectly, and uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll, do, we'll get into it a little bit more as we go through. Um, there you go. But mayhem ensues, and she's... She's, yeah, she's, and hilarity ensues. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you feel about this episode? Uh, I actually, I liked it. I liked it uh, as well. Not as much as the other one. When I saw it, it I, I thought it was like there's a trope character we have. Yeah. Where you have a character with a disability who has a grudge against everyone. It, it's like a it's a real cliched character. Yeah. And, and that's what I thought that Melora would be, and and she was at the beginning of the episode. Um, that's sort of smoothed out by Bashir giving a kind of condescending totally condescending, condescending conversation with her yeah. to bring her out of her shell Ooh, shields yeah. up yeah yeah that was uncomfortable um but once they get that out of the way I, I thought that it had addressed um uh, an interesting conflict where uh, Bashir finds well this is the rest of my synopsis yeah. here we go Bashir, <laughs> Bashir finds a way to uh activate part of her Part of her brain to give her mobility yeah uh, to be able to grow muscles and control them in this the the space station's gravity yeah um however it's an irreversible process which means that she will not be able to uh return to her homeland and enjoy the low gravity that that, that basically defines her and her culture yeah and who she is so i thought that that, that was very interesting. Yeah, and she rejects it. And um, there was some. Uh, there was. Uh, I was reading background on this, and people were comparing it to the Next Generation episode. I think it's called Ethics, mm -hmm. where Worf has an accident, and he basically can't walk anymore. Mm -hmm. And his feeling is, and this is what Klingons feel, is that he is therefore useless and should just die. Yeah. And the feeling that many people got from that episode was that that this was Star Trek's statement on disability that, mm. that people with oh disabilities my gosh, yeah. are, are therefore dis disposable. And in this episode, the character comes closer to kind of a modern idea of what, what a lot of disability advocates mm -hmm. argue for, which is that a disability is a part of your identity yeah. and not something to be taken away um, just because, you know, it's something if you, if you choose to have, you know, modifications, that's your choice. But it is something that, you know, for instance, like uh, deaf people, they have a whole mm -hmm. culture built around deafness that is rich and varied and is part of their identity. And Sure, they're, they're deaf people and they would not want a cochlear implant or anything because, yeah. because for them it, it, it's sort of rejecting that culture yeah. and, and who they are. And, and it's also the idea that, that it's an improvement in any way because they wouldn't see it as an improvement. They would yeah. just see it as a, as a as change. As a change, as yeah. a difference, yeah. So it was good that she said she voices that idea. The the issue that I have with this episode, and this was actually I read I can't remember where I read it. I was reading someone's critique of it, and I kind of stole it. I apologize, whoever I stole it from. <gasps> but they were basically saying, and this is a good point, when Star Trek does these kind of episodes where a character represents a current burning issue mm -hmm. um, in like in our contemporary culture, and have them represent it. 
what happens to the character at the end always seems like a judgment that the show is making on that particular issue. Mm-hmm. It's always uncomfortable because you're like, what are they saying about disabled people? And so what would be better is if they had a disabled character who was just a disabled character. Mm-hmm. Like like Jordy, for instance. Yeah. On, on Star Trek The Next Generation where they're not... It's like their disability sometimes comes into play but it's not the thing that defines them yeah and that uh and that unfortunately is the issue with this episode is that she's kind of defined by her disability yeah i i really didn't like the beginning where that was the overriding uh yeah part of it of her personality i thought that that was yeah and and, and, and like i said bashir's speech to her was incredibly condescending oh super condescending you know like that she needs in some ways to be fixed you know that her personality mm-hmm. needs to be fixed also, what is wrong with that station? It's the 24th century, and they do not have ramps. Like, <laughs> like what? Have they yeah. not? Like, like, <laughs> like, the, like, come on, come on, folks, <laughs> let's get ramps. Um, there, there is one part of this episode that I that I really did appreciate, and that was the Klingon restaurant. Oh yes. Like they live on this supposedly uh, diverse space station, and and you get a sense of that from the from the diverse uh, array of of species, alien species that you see in the background. But you always see uh, Quark's bar, or I don't know, um, Garrick's uh, tailor shop. You you don't see any of the other businesses on board. Yeah. And to see a Klingon restaurant was amazing, and it was hilarious. Oh, that it was Klingon very, it was very good. Yeah, yeah, it was very good. I love when he threw away the food. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, and, and the the worms, like it was actually worms. They just got a bunch of worms. they got some bait yeah. and put it on a plate. Did you did did Bashir? Uh, he ate a eat, he, he ate a gummy worm at the end because oh, it looked like he was twitching. I thought he's probably just kind of using his hand to do that to yeah. manipulate it, but. And I love the Klingon singing at the oh, end. Oh, that, that, that was a highlight. That was, I wrote that down. The Klingon singing yeah. was a highlight. I, I actually thought, I, I'd like to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> if I could get a recording of it. If anybody knows out there, please email us. And, uh, I'd like to hear it. There was two examples of alien music in that episode. There was the Klingon singing his opera. And then there was the Vulcan oh, yeah. um, choral. Or like, uh, I don't know, it was cantata yeah. or something. And like... <laughs> Clearly sounding like, you know, some sort of pre on Oh, it wasn't yeah. choral, yeah, it was, it was, um... Like some synthesizer. Strings or piano or something, yeah. And they're like, oh, people don't like him because he's too emo- like too emotional for a Vulcan or something. Yeah, it, was, it was good. Yeah, no, I actually, I liked it. Um, it wasn't the most amazingly complicated uh, music. The Vulcans, mm-hmm. I feel like, would be able to do a little bit more challenging music. <laughs> but, uh, no. That's just how I feel. Oh, and I have completely ignored, on purpose, I swear, the B-plot. Oh, the B-plot's terrible. Because I don't care. I don't care. It's another person from Quark's past who hates him for whatever reason, and he threatens to kill him. And the whole thing was just a a dumb way to get uh, Melora in danger so that she could save the day in the end. Yeah, and one of the author, one of the writers of this episode pointed out an issue um, with the scene where Melora is shot by the bad guy and she, I, one assumes that she's dead at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone assumes that she's dead. And Bashir's reaction was, Murp. he says nothing. Yeah. He doesn't go, he doesn't even go, Melora! 
He says mm-hmm. literally nothing. And they were like, you know, we probably should have done more in that scene. And I don't know why they didn't do more. I mean, he, at the very least, we, the implication mm. is that they had a moment of intimacy together. Yeah. Some space intimacy. They had zero G sex. Yeah. We can say it. Yeah. And, um, and so I feel like at the very least you might be going, ah, you know, when yeah. someone, you know, has, has died. Uh, and then when he finds out that she's alive, he's also not that excited about it. He's kind of like, she's alive. <laughs> so. Well, it's strange because when she decides not to not to go through with um, the medical procedure, it's almost like that ends their relationship. As yeah. if the relationship is purely based on Bashir having a medical interest in, in her, which is yeah. weird. It is. And, yeah, like... They don't even say, like, oh, she needs to go to a different um, uh, space station or something like that. Mm. Like, that's not even the ending. It's just that she doesn't want to do the the medical procedure. Mm. So it is weird when he he's basically like, no. There's no emotional release at that moment because you're like, I don't know why mm. you're breaking up at this point. Now, what did, what did you think about how they used uh, Dax in this episode? As, like, the... The sassy friend to give yeah, like the sassy friend to give the kind of like great advice. <laughs> I thought she was okay. I mean, she was at least doing something. <laughs> she was at least talking. I, she was flying a runabout. You know, she I, wasn't just being. Um, uh, yeah, I like. There's that one part where she's like, "Oh, you know, the last time I saw a long distance relationship that worked was like 150 years ago or something." And Melora's like, "Wow, you're old." <laughs> like, thanks, thanks, Melora. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it was the, it was, there was like a gat, there was like a helium based, helium breathing life form and an oxygen based breathing life form. And they, they shared 20 minutes a day or something like that. And they made it work. They could make it work. Why can't you make it work, Melora? Oh my gosh. My concern too with Melora, um, as an alien, uh, this is my scientific nerdiness coming out, Mm -hmm. but if she evolved on a planet with low gravity... She wouldn't have a body that would look like that because uh, she would have had much longer limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I this reminds me of Larry Niven's The Integral Trees. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read that book? No, no. Um, and he wrote us uh, basically a book about humans living in a low gravity environment, and just if humans lived in it over a few generations, they would start becoming very, very elongated Mm -hmm. because there would not be that gravity pulling you down that preventing your bones from growing so long. Mm. So just a little bit of nerdiness for me that she should have been like eight feet tall. No, she should have been like 15 feet tall and like with arms, like, I don't know, sticks. Yeah. Or some jellyfish kind of thing going on. Yeah. And that room wasn't really low gravity. It was kind of like no gravity. Like, they didn't fall. Like, they just kind of floated upwards, which is like zero gravity. Like, please get it right. I'm going to say zero gravity. (laughs) Yeah, because you could tell the way that they were moving around the room. They both, it was like they had the same amount of mass, which made no sense. Well, just, I mean, the whole thing didn't really make any sense, but. But just yeah, I love the shot too of her brother and her, and they're like clearly flying. Like this is just what they do regularly is fly. Which, once again, in a low gravity environment, you don't fly. You would be jumping. You just wouldn't fly. There, there is also the fact that she was shot 
at point blank range by a phaser. Yeah. And then at the end, she's like, wow, how, how did I not die? Was it like the medical procedure? And Bashir's like, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, sure. And they're just like, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed the the bad guy who hated Quark. Um, he was terrible. Apparently, mm-hmm. I was reading about the writers, and they were like constantly like, we need to make him worse, uh, like more scary, and they just couldn't. They just didn't find a way. You mean the the nose chin bridge? Yeah, didn't, didn't make him scary enough. And I loved Quark serves him a drink, and then I was like waiting for him to try to like dribble it into one side of his mouth because mm-hmm. like how is he going to drink this drink? He's not. So did he, he used a straw, didn't he? <laughs> Quark did not give him a straw. Maybe, maybe that was Quark subtly uh, giving him the finger. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention one last thing about this episode, and it was written by Evan Carlos Summers, and he is actually, he's disabled, he was, uh, he's in a wheelchair. And so for him, it was actually kind of a labor of love to have mm. a character like him on the show uh and uh, i think a lot of the issues arose not from him but there was apparently a bunch of rewrites on the episode Mm -hmm. and uh, he felt that a lot of the kind of stereotypical things got added is that is that like the grudge against the world kind of stuff you think or uh possibly i'm not sure it didn't describe fully what Mm -hmm. what was changed but oh i think it was also things like she couldn't walk very much uh, like she was mostly in the chair, and so it really did highlight the kind of hmm. just the constant barriers that she faced in this environment that were in no way like like you know like what she said about how like why did the designer put a lip on each door? Yeah, like why would any designer do that? And yeah. and and yeah, and after this episode, you're like, why didn't they remove them? Like why don't they just have like a retrofitting? like day and just like retrofit everything so they don't have these that's an interesting point actually i mean it's such a it's uh we're recording this in toronto and uh we we have a lot of issues for people with mobility issues getting around because the city's not very well designed uh there's there isn't a lot of wheelchair access and there's actually a group uh that makes um temporary ramps for businesses just so that people in wheelchairs can get access to them and I mean, it's it's like that's the reality for for a lot of people. And and we're thinking about this in the twenty first century. Like yeah. this is why I'm like, you haven't you think, figured it out in the twenty fourth century. Yeah. Come on, Cardassians, get your get yeah together. The implication is that they haven't had to. I for for whatever reason, there are no people who have mobility issues mm-hmm. on this station. Like they say at the beginning, um, Dax says, I haven't seen one of these in like two hundred years or something yeah. like that. So I guess they got a bit of a pass, but it is, it is kind of weird. Hmm. But um, I don't, I wasn't that crazy about this episode. No. Boring. No. Um, It is also sort of a, like an episode, like a, not a serial episode. It's like kind of a, like it's not adding to the, the universe, except for the Klingon restaurant, which apparently appears later. Um, It kind of just is is a one shot thing. So. Uh, from what I'm not going to spoil anything for you, Michael, but uh, Melora is never mentioned again. What? <laughs> <laughs> By Bashir, even though he apparently had such a lovely night with her. Oh, so, dear. Uh, be- before we go, I do want to give credit to one good line that uh, Odo had in this. And, yeah, uh, I don't even remember him being in this episode. <laughs> yeah, he was in this episode. 
he had like three lines and one was really good. Um, it's when Quark is saying, oh my gosh, he's going to kill me. And, and he says, uh, you people sell pieces of you when you die, right? <laughs> and Quark says, yes. And he'll go, I'll buy one. <laughs> I forgot that. That was a good line. That was a good one. Yeah. Oh, Odo. He, see, he, it's Cisco and Odo. They should start a sarcasm yeah. review, you know? Yeah. I would, I mean, the two sitcoms, yeah. Sis, uh, Quark and Odo and Bashira and Garrick. Those yeah. are the two show, spin-off shows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it for the episodes today. Uh, but I do want to thank Jeff again for writing in. Uh, thank you for your great comments. Um, and I totally agree with you and your, your ideas about Garrick and Gul Dukat. And as I said before, if you do have any further questions, comments, or you just want to tell us that we're doing a wonderful job, I'm sure you want to tell us that we're doing a wonderful job. Or horrible, job. horrible job. That's no, fine. I'm sure they all think we're amazing, Michael. You can email us at rrds9podcast at gmail.com. Have a great day. 